Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. Our conversations with safety experts aim to share ideas and insights you can use to help your organization benefit from efforts to improve worker safety and health. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Full body harnesses are some of the most critical pieces of fall protection equipment. These harnesses help protect workers if they experience a fall, thereby preventing them from experiencing a serious injury or worse. The recently updated ANSI ASSP Z359.11 standard establishes requirements for full-body harnesses, including the areas of performance, design, marking, inspection, training, and use. Uh, Here with me today to talk about what's new in this latest update, as well as uh, how to ensure workers stay safe while using full-body harnesses, is Rob Willis. Rob is Global Fall Protection Group Product Manager at MSA Safety and Chair of the Z359.11 Subcommittee on Safety Requirements for Full-Body Harnesses. Uh, Rob, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks, Scott. Great to great to be here. Looking forward to explaining to everyone a little bit more about harnesses. Looking forward to it as well. Let's get started. Now, I, I touched on it uh, a little bit at the top there, but I thought we could start with laying the foundation to kind of familiarize our listeners with full body harnesses. So what are the most important considerations, the most important things for safety professionals and end users to know when it comes to full body harnesses? Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to harnesses, I would recommend any safety professional or end user to really think about two things, the application that you're working on, and then always think about the fit of the harness. And um, we can probably dive into that a little bit uh, as we go through some different topics. But as far as like the application goes, I'm talking about, are we doing welding today? Is this a confined space entry? Is it a utility type of uh, application? General purpose? So there's a lot of different applications out there that have different types of harnesses. So it's really important to realize that it's not just one harness for all types of work. Uh, so once you know the kind of work you're going to be doing for the day or for the job, proper fit is uh, as, is as equally important. So there are different sizes of harnesses. Uh, all manufacturers have a little bit different take on it. Sometimes you'll have you know, three sizes, four sizes, five sizes within each style. Uh, so it's very important to, to look at a sizing chart and make sure you're, you're fitted properly um, for, for many reasons, which we can get into. Okay, now, how can uh, this most recent uh, edition of the Z359.11 standard serve as a guide to help safety professionals uh, educate end users on how to properly use full body harnesses? So I'd say that, you know, 359.11 kind of breaks into to two parts with a majority of the standard really giving some insight uh, into safety professionals on how harnesses are designed and how they're tested. You know, it will give you a level of confidence when you buy an an ANSI rated harness that you know that it's, you know, got certain design requirements. It's gone through some very rigorous testing. So I think it gives really good insight into, again, what goes into harness designs and and helps you understand the factors of safety built into these harnesses. So that's a good majority of the standard with some with some you know color behind the labeling requirements and instruction requirements. So it, it kind of teaches you the kinds of things that you should expect to see on an official ANSI product. Um, but one of the really nice pieces of dot eleven is actually the user appendix that's found at the end of the standard. In this section, you can find some some good guidance on uh, different topics when related to full body harnesses. They at least give you an awareness of things like the need for training, you know, proper fit. Um, again, it talks about the forces that you could see in a personal fall risk system on a harness. Uh, let's see, there's like suspension trauma, and, and we can describe what that is here in a bit. 
uh, harness stretch, and, and a bunch of other topics. So again, it's uh, it's a pretty comprehensive document. I, I would consider anyone who has sort of read it, uh, you know, front to back, to be uh, pretty well versed when it comes to all things harnesses, uh, be it designed to usage. So um, it kind of gives a bit of a flavor for what you can what you can find in dot eleven. Okay, now uh, something you you touched on a little bit earlier was you know making sure you've got the right harness for a particular job, be it you know welding, confined space, ele- elevated heights, uh, that kind of thing. So, what are some of the different types of full body harnesses that safety professionals and end users may may come across, and how do you know which type of harness is the best for a particular job? Yeah. So um, again, when we when we talk about ANSI Z three fifty nine dot eleven, just to Kind of make sure everyone's on the same page. This standard only covers full body harnesses, so that's a harness that you would have a kind of a top half and a bottom half. It does not cover uh, body belts or kind of lower body harnesses that you see in kind of rock climbing applications. So, just want to make sure everyone understands the type of harness you'll find in there. And the reason we focused on the full body harness is, uh, to be frank, it's the safest solution out there. When you have a full body harness, you know you will. In a headfirst fall, you'll protect yourself the best you can from you know potentially coming out of the harness, and also a full body harness will help distribute the load across all the different pieces of webbing in the harness. So uh, again, it's pretty much understood as an industry that the full body harness is is by far the, the best solution out there. Now, uh, with that as some quick background, a- as we said, there's a there's a tool for every job, and, and harnesses are no different. So uh, again. You know, if I'm doing, um, you know, rescue work or confined space and welding, uh, the reason the application is important is sometimes the application will dictate part of the harness design. So in a welding application, it could be made, the material could be a a para-aramid, so something like a Kevlar. Uh, There are cleaning harnesses found in general industry where you would take a a nylon web and you put a polyurethane coating on it. Confined space harnesses, for example, have really well-designed rescue points on them. So again, I just wanted to describe that the application will have a very big impact I've seen on, on design. And then to, to get into the nuance a bit more, when we'll just pick an application, we'll call it welding again. So in, in a welding harness, you can find different connection points on that harness. So you have back D-rings, which are your main fall arrest attachment points. You can get chest D-rings and hip D-rings for work positioning and frontal and shoulder. And again, all of these words I'm using, all of these different attachment points, they're all described in the standard. They all give explanations for their usage. So again, it gives you some really good insight into, uh, you know, the different parts of a harness, what the function of those different parts are, and and how it, you know, would be used in, in that application. So again, main points, understanding the application that can drive certain things like material. And then within that application, there's different type of work being done. And, and again, that might be something like work positioning where you're leaning back on maybe rebar and you want to use those hip D-rings. So um, right tool for the job. It's important to to know and understand that. So again, yeah, just just a lot. Uh, there's a lot to take in. And, you know, I know when you go to most manufacturers' websites, there's almost sometimes an incomprehensible amount of uh, numbers and SKUs and, and all that good stuff. So uh, try not to get overwhelmed. You know, I, I find that most... Um, most manufacturers have pretty good, you know, customer service sales teams that if you just describe your application, if you describe the type of work you're doing, if you know those things, they can help guide you through that process to find the right harness for you. 
Okay, great. Those those are some uh, some some really good uh, good examples and good uh, good guidance in the standard. Now, one of the other changes in this most recent edition of the the dot eleven is to the testing procedures. Now, how do these new procedures help ensure that harnesses will provide an appropriate level of protection for end users? You know, in different working applications. Yeah. So you know, when it comes to the testing changes in the standard. To be, to be honest with everyone, it, those those changes, again, will have everyone feel comfortable that you are buying one of the most uh, diligently designed harnesses on the market. The testing requirements are, are very fair and ANSI. Um, some of the tweaks that we made to the testing certainly don't really affect, I'd say, end users and safety professionals. Those changes were made to help uh, like lab technicians and, and our, our professionals who do the evaluation of harnesses to keep them safe. There were some things that uh, we needed to clean up there. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we have very good factors of safety, I'd say, built into the harnesses uh, from DOT 11 and the, the types of testing they go through. You know, there's two types. There's dynamic and static. So we're either simulating a fall and making sure that it's got the strength requirement it needs. Uh, or we do static testing where you just, you know, you put it on a, on a piece of tensile equipment and you, you pull the different connection points till they break. And uh, we put boundaries on them so we ensure factors of safety are built in. You know, I would say to, for safety and a professional and end user, some of the more tangible things from DOT 11 that they would notice, maybe not related to testing, would be um, in regards to markings and things like that. So, for example, labels and user instructions now need to show what a load indicator uh, looks like when it's deployed and not deployed. And uh, that wasn't required before. So now there's a bit of insight for training to help people understand when their harness has seen a load that uh, needs it to be required to be removed from service. Label packs also now need to have pictograms, so little kind of stick figures that show the different applications this harness can be used for. And this relates back to the different D-ring connections. So if you have a harness with a back D-ring, a front D-ring, side D-rings, these pictograms will uh, confirm that in the label pack. So it'll, again, it'll just help you understand the type of application this product has been tested and rated for. And uh, again, I think the final point that I just want to make sure everyone is aware of is there's a new configuration now. So before this revision of .11, uh, it wasn't actually possible for manufacturers to design a harness with an integrated energy absorber on the D-ring, so the two components sort of tied together uh, from the manufacturer, this new standard does allow that. So now you can uh, technically purchase from a manufacturer a harness with a built-in energy absorber. So I'd say those those are sort of the main things that an end user would come across when you're dealing with the new harness standard, the, the labeling changes and the ability to get some new configurations. Some uh, you mentioned there when we're talking about the marking requirements. There's an annex within the dot eleven that sets requirements for manufacturers' instructions for full body harnesses. And I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about the the importance for end users to read those instructions and uh, how that can you know help them understand you know how to properly don, wear, and and use a full body harness. Yep, sure. No, I um. You know, I won't admit that reading manuals and user instructions is probably ever fun, but it, it, there is usually some very good content in there. Um, it can be as things as small as nuances of actually how to, to don the harness properly so that you get that most comfortable fit that can help with reducing like slippage of buckles and things like that. Uh, there's usually lots of good information in those user instructions uh, related to maybe limitations. So again, if there's a temperature range that the harness is good for or certain applications such as ladder climbing that it's been evaluated against. So the user instructions do typically have some, some pretty good insight into the do's and don'ts related to that particular harness, some considerations you want to have. 
Uh, so I would certainly recommend, you know, kind of trying to go through it. There's always something uh, required around like inspection, kind of trying to help you out on that. Um, storage requirements are typically typically in these instructions. So it won't have everything, but it's fairly comprehensive, I've found, for most people to, to at least give you some guidance on most things. So, yeah, it's um, it's a, it's it's I'd say it's a required read. Something you talked about earlier and is such a common theme within fall protection is proper fit. I know I, I've talked to so many folks in the, the fall protection industry and proper fit is just one of the things that, that comes up so often. So when it comes to full body harnesses, I wonder if we could dive a little deeper into that and talk about you know the, the potential consequences of an end user wearing a full body harness that's either too big or too small. And what are the types of things that can happen if an end user has a full body harness that's not properly fit? Yeah. Now this is, um, you know, compliance is one of the biggest issues in the fall protection industry and compliance in a harness, uh, I find a challenge at times because, you know, end users are just so uncomfortable. They feel they're fighting their harness. They are just, you know, it's not working with them. And so they don't wear the harness properly because they're so uncomfortable and that leads to compliance problems and that can ultimately lead to safety issues. So, Proper fit is 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 the name of the game. That is comfort is what we need to to continue to solve. And so, you know, when it comes to proper fit, uh, you have to start with the basics of uh, again. Each manufacturer typically has a, a sizing chart to give you some initial guidance. You know, based off of usually height and weight, which will get you into that zone. Uh, so you want to you want to start there. Find the harness that you believe should be the right size. I would encourage trying on multiple harnesses. Again, if hopefully there's another takeaway here, it's like my goodness, I didn't. Maybe I didn't realize there was that breadth of harnesses or you have applications, you have different, uh, you know, ranges within an application, maybe kind of an entry-level harness, a mid-tier or sort of a premium tier. And you'll find different features that may lead to better comfort, which may lead to better compliance. Um, so, you know, I, 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 you really got to think of it like clothing. You need to be comfortable in this harness so that you wear it properly. A harness that is not properly worn, you know, it can have some serious effects in a fall event. Uh, that webbing will will cinch up in you know uncomfortable places and can and can cause some bodily harm. You want to have a, a harness that's properly adjusted because if it's really sloppy and you're moving around, then those adjusters, those buckles that the webbing goes through, they'll they'll loosen up and I don't mean come apart, but I mean the webbing will loosen up. And again, that just you know it's snowballs. Now you're more uncomfortable. The webbing's loose. Your your PFLs, your SRDs that you have in your back, they're moving down. So it all starts with a properly fitted harness. It, it will lead to a more comfortable job day. It will lead to a safer, unfortunate fall event. And it will also help for things like you know, PFLs when you have them on your back. So can't emphasize enough the, the need to you know, try on multiple harnesses if you need to, to make sure that, that you are comfortable. Absolutely. Uh, another really critical element of any effective fall protection program is training educating your workers how to operate safely when working at height. So what advice would you give safety professionals on educating end users about the proper use of full body harnesses? Again, it, um, it does start with uh, like the donning and doffing is the term. So how do you on a harness? How do you properly take off the harness? Those obviously have very close ties with uh, the fit of the harness. So if you, you know how to put it on correctly, if you know how to tighten it correctly, that's, that's I'd say, the biggest thing. Proper maintenance is huge on these harnesses. You know, you really need to resist that urge to throw it in a job box that is just piled on top of your other PPE. You know, these are this webbing. You know, it needs to be it needs to take, be taken care of properly, um, stored in proper locations. You know, away from sharp objects and tools and anything that could cut that webbing. So, how do you put the harness on? Very important. How do you store the harness? 
How do you inspect the harness? Also very important. Looking for signs of stitch wear and uh, you know webbing fraying, things like that. So the the user instructions back to that point will have all the detail you need to learn how to to do these things. But I'd say those are some major topics. Maybe one other one other thought on the training aspect related to full body harnesses. Um, if in the unfortunate event of a fall, the end user is you know hanging there, something that can happen, uh, and it's across all harnesses, is you can get something called a suspension trauma or venous pooling. And basically what's happening is you're, you're, you're hanging you know, by your back D-ring and your legs and the webbing around your legs can, can tighten up. And as it tightens up, you are restricting the blood flow, you know, probably not completely, but to the point that it does slow it down. And, and as you restrict blood flow, you can, you can build up uh, you know, blood that doesn't have enough oxygen in it. And uh, what can happen is if you're hanging there for you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes and you are lowered to the ground, all of this, you know, quote unquote, dead blood will rush through your circulatory system. And that can, that can be deadly. To be honest, that can be deadly. So it's important to, as always, have a rescue plan so that uh, if something occurs, you can help that person be rescued. And just for awareness, there are um, accessories called etriers or safety steps that almost every manufacturer makes. They are an accessory that you can attach to your harness. And, you know, if you are hanging there post-fall, what these little safety steps do is they don't, they don't allow for self-rescue. So it's not like you're going to, you know, step up or step down because of these. But what they allow is they allow you to put your feet into loops and you can relieve the pressure on your legs and it allows blood flow to kind of move about. So what it does is it uh, just, you know, helps you while you're waiting to be rescued uh, kind of get the blood moving in your body. So suspension trauma uh, is something I think that you know is important for every site safety manager to know. It is important to to make sure your teams know that. And again, there are uh, kind of accessories or, or harnesses that have them built in as well to help with that. So it's a big thing. You know, training training is a big thing for harnesses as it is all parts of the PPE system. And uh, you know, if you're not comfortable with it, you really need to speak up and, and ask for help. You mentioned the rescue planning there. If in the unfortunate event, you know, someone experiences a fall in a full body harness and, and need to be rescued, you know, what, what elements need to be involved in that rescue plan? You know, what needs to happen after someone has experienced a fall in a full body harness? Yeah, so this is a, this is a tough one, I admit, for, for every site safety manager to have to kind of think through and, and deal with. The, you know, the things you always hear from the industry are, you know, calling 911 or emergency rescue numbers are, are not a safety plan. That's not a rescue plan uh, to just figure to call 911. So, you know, again, it's going to be very application specific, job specific, uh, how you do that, that rescue plan, uh, be it um, the ability to just to try to self-rescue. Uh, there are devices out there that um, in a fall event, you can press a button, if you will, or pull a, a latch and then this device will lower you to the ground. There are kind of safety in a bag or kits in a bag for rescue uh, types of devices. So if you want to have a bag available, you can set it up. This person needs to be trained on how to lower themselves down to the person, kind of tie off to them and pick them up or lower them to the ground. So there are multiple, multiple ways to create a safety program. Again, it's, it's recommended to be very application specific. For example, a confined space application is going to just be a totally different rescue plan than somebody who's doing steel erection, totally different than, you know, someone uh, working in a grain mill or something like that. So again, there are all sorts of services uh, if you're not familiar or comfortable creating a rescue plan that I'd, I'd advise. So point being though, keep it top of mind. Nobody expects to fall and uh, you do want to have a, a playbook 
available that you can walk yourself through in those really tense moments. Absolutely. That's, that's a very good point. Uh, anything else you'd like to add about full body harnesses or uh, anything else you'd like uh, folks to know about the latest dot 11 standard as, as we wrap up? Um, no, you know, other than again, really proud of the work that the team at the ANSI committee has done. And with the partnership with ASSP, I think they're developing some great products through these standards. You know, the work's not done. I see harnesses uh, continuing to uh, be a, f- a focus for, for the committee as we think about, you know, how, how do you make them, how do you make them better? How do you make them more robust? How do you make them easier to, to pick and use? So sorts of themes coming out on where we go in the future. And kind of on that note, if, if you ever have, you know, insight or, or thoughts on it, you know, try to get involved. It's a volunteer committee and we're always looking for engaged people in the fall protection community who, who are looking to make, you know, workers safe. So that's, that's all I got. Definitely. I'm glad, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, always looking for uh, folks to bring their uh, expertise to uh, the Standards Development Committee. So we encourage uh, folks to, uh, to to take a look at that. Well, uh, thank you so much again, uh, Rob, for coming on. I uh, really enjoyed our conversation. I hope uh, folks will take a look at the new uh, .11 and think about how they can use it to improve their uh, fall protection program. So thank you again. Sure. Thanks, Scott. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.